Before you listen to our regularly scheduled Rico Bronia, let me take you behind the curtain real quick. We recorded the Rico Wednesday night, I'd say around nine o'clock at night. And after we were done recording the Rico, I went to bed. I saw that Puerto Rico was about to beat the Dominican Republic. I saw that Team USA was about to take on Colombia, but I needed some sleep. And I went to sleep and I slept like a baby. And about 5 a.m., I noticed that my phone had 41 unread text messages. I wasn't sure what to think. And I quickly see the first message from Craig Carton New, because I guess he has a new cell phone in my phone. And Craig Carton New says, Edwin Diaz out for the year. Good morning. And I'm thinking to myself, excuse me? So I scroll through the rest of my messages. And obviously I see the video that we as Met fans are now watching over and over and over again. And that's the video of Edwin Diaz laying on the ground after celebrating the World Baseball Classic victory against Puerto Rico. We don't know if he's out for the year, but I hate to say Craig's right. He's probably going to be right. As Met fans, we have to fear the worst. We have to fear the worst because the poor son of a bitch needed a wheelchair to get off the field. We have to fear the worst because even though Steve Cohen bought this team and spends a ton of money and everything feels different, there are moments where things don't feel different. And Edwin Diaz coming off the most dominant closing season you'll ever see. And Edwin Diaz coming off striking out the side against the Dominican Republic. Edwin Diaz buckling his knee in celebration and potentially missing the entire season feels like something we would expect over the last two decades. So this sucks. I got nothing to add other than the same emotion you guys have, which is, are you freaking kidding me? And for all the defenses I've had about the World Baseball Classic, you know, you could get hurt in Port St. Lucie. You could get hurt swinging a bat in Port St. Lucie, Florida. You can get hurt throwing 97 miles an hour in Port St. Lucie, Florida, where I take the L on this, is you can't get hurt celebrating in Port St. Lucie, Florida, unless you're doing the dopey 27-out drill with Luis Rojas. So this sucks. And Thursday is going to be a stressful day because we're all going to be praying and hoping to the baseball gods that we're somehow going to get miraculous news that Edwin's going to be okay. But he's probably not. He's probably going to have a torn ACL and we're not going to see him at all in 2023. I will leave you with this before you listen to our regular naive edition of Rico Bronia where we talk about other things that we thought were issues. This is not a death knell to the season. I want to make that very clear. It hurts. It sucks. It's bad. I feel horrible even telling my kid who has got the Edwin Diaz jersey and loves Narco. But I will make this very clear to you. And I'm saying this, you know, at 5.45 a.m. after recently finding out the news. This baseball team's fate is not sealed by a closer not pitching this year. I'm not suggesting David Robertson's going to be better or Adam Adovino is going to be better or anybody else they acquire is going to be better, but we've seen it before. You know, the worst closers in baseball may blow five, six, seven, eight games. If you're good enough, you can overcome it. If the starting pitching is good enough, you can overcome it. If your offense is good, you can overcome it. 
But right now, as Met fans, you feel snake-bitten. And it goes back to that old, we're not allowed to have nice things theory that most of us have. I wish the best to Edwin Diaz. And let this be a lesson. Don't celebrate unless you win the freaking World Series. Because then you got six months to rehab. Enjoy the rest of the Rico. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. A lot to talk about today. There are rumored plans for the opening day start for the New York Mets. We finally get the official word on Jose Quintana. Darren Ruff still sucks. Max Scherzer's got intriguing opinions about the World Baseball Classic. Pete Hoffman has a big idea on a guy the Mets should add. And somehow, someway, in a relevant way, we will talk about Aaron Rodgers and his relation to the New York Mets. That's right. That's all going to happen on today's Rico Bronia. That realignment discussion will eventually happen. It's probably going to happen over the weekend. I got to be honest with you. Eventually, we'll talk realignment. And we got a lot of cool things before opening day. We'll have an official prediction podcast. We'll have tons of predictions about the Mets season, Major League Baseball in general, specific stats for Mets players. We'll do Yankee versus Mets bets coming up. So we're we're only a couple of weeks away. I mean, we're getting closer, man. We're two weeks away from opening day, which is just insane. So let's start there with the starting pitching plan, which is not a surprise. I think when we had discussed Scherzer versus Verlander a while ago at the beginning of spring training, when Buck was asked right at the gate on day one, he pretty much made it clear that he was going to split the baby on this and give one guy the true opening day start and the other guy the home opener start. Mike Puma reports that that is indeed the Mets' plan with Max Scherzer starting the season opener against Sandy Alcantara in Miami and Verlander getting the home start, which is the eighth game of the season. Because think about it. The Mets are playing four games against the Marlins and three games against Milwaukee with no off days. And they're in domes, so you don't have to worry about a rainout. I guess there could always be a, a dome issue that causes a postponement. But the plan is you're going to get the Mets playing seven consecutive days. And we got Scherzer in the season opener, Verlander in the home opener. Do you think, Pete, and by the way, I'm good with this. I think we're all good with this. Opening day is a symbolic thing. Do you think Scherzer got the season opener? Because they're afraid of Met fans booing him at City Field. Because I personally don't buy that, but I do want to bring it up as a possibility. There, there's one person uh, in the office, uh, Tommy Lugauer, who came with that notion. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, what? no, not at all. And I'll tell you why. Because I understand, yes, the last, last sight we, the Mets fans saw was Scherzer blowing up in the, the playoff game. But also, on the other hand, too, we're not that fickle. It's not. It's nothing. No, no disrespect to Scherzer, but if Verlander goes out on opening day at the home opener and gives up five runs in the first two innings, he might get booed off too. I, oh it, yeah, it's just it's just the level of respect. Mets fans are locked in, and we want to cheer, but we're also not going to cheer for having a terrible day. Well, and Verlander and Scherzer, and I think they know this, certainly Max knows it from last year, they're hired guns. And when you're a hired gun and you have a Hall of Fame resume, you come here with kind of the quicker booing trigger from Met fans because we have no loyalty to you. You know, why would we be so loyal to Verlander or Scherzer? We're not. 
you know, Jacob DeGrom got bombed on opening day, we're not necessarily going to boo him. I mean, we're not because the guy's career is as a Met. And I only use him as an example because I don't really have anyone else I could use in this Met rotation because the Met rotation is just filled with hired guns. I mean, if we're being honest. So you have to go back. Noah Syndergaard a few years ago when he started on opening day, same thing. Like we weren't going to necessarily turn and boo on them. I don't believe, and I was saying this to Tommy Lugauer because he brought the same thing up to me. I don't believe that Met fans hate Max Scherzer by any stretch. I think a few weeks ago on the Rico, I was talking about how Met fans pretty much, you know, love everything he says. He says all those right, feisty things that people love. So I don't think it's a factor at all. I think it was squarely, and it makes sense. Give Max the true opening day start based on the fact that he's got that extra year of seniority with the Mets, but give Verlander that home start, that chance to get the standing ovation in front of the Met crowd. And it's going to be a second start. So to your point, if Verlander goes out in Milwaukee, actually it would be Miami, it'd be the third game of the season, and got bombed, maybe maybe he does get booed on opening day based on how he pitches. But it's a fine decision. My My hope is it happens. And the reason I say that is there's that nervousness of just getting guys through spring training healthy. Justin Verlander pitched on Wednesday and early in the game took a comeback or off of his leg. And I wasn't watching the game live, obviously. I'm not even sure it was on. T- Actually, it was on SNY, but I wasn't watching it live. I was consumed with Aaron Rodgers' Pat McAfee interview. But I heard about it. And I'm sure if I was watching it live, there'd be a scare of, oh, crap. We're going to lose Verlander now. And to Justin's credit, he stayed in the game. He pitched great. He, he looked, uh, at least from the box score, because, again, I didn't see the game. The pitching line looked great, if I'm being accurate. I can't say he looked great. I didn't watch him. His pitching line looked great, though. You know, five innings, a bunch of strikeouts, only one base hit. Uh, Looks like he's ready. Looks like he's ready to go. And with Verlander and Scherzer, it's just stay on the field. You know, just make those starts every five or six days. That's going to be the ultimate key. And I'm starting to get excited about seeing Justin Verlander pitch for the New York Mets because the guy's a Hall of Famer. The guy's an all-time great pitcher. And while I stand by... We have no loyalty towards him. You know, he hasn't done anything for us yet. I've always been a geek for the great starting pitcher. I've always loved watching great starting pitchers. I've always loved scoring games with dominant starting pitchers pitching great. And we are going to get at least a year of watching two guys that are going to go to the Hall of Fame in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. And hopefully we get to see a lot of greatness from them. There's no guarantee, but hopefully we do get a lot of greatness out of them. The Jose Quintana update was sort of what we feared, sort of what we expected. Uh, The way we got there was sort of strange, though, too. Obviously, Quintana had a scare because they noticed a legion on his rib. Luckily, everything's okay, and Jose is going to be fine. But early in the week, and it didn't come specifically from a Met reporter, I have to be honest. I was on, I think, RotoWire, which pretty much aggregates information. It's not like they're breaking news. They're taking information from someone else and saying, hey, here's the update on this guy. Here's the update on that guy. And this is the first I saw of it, that Quintana had a chance to be ready for the start of the year. This is what I read. So I read this and I quickly say that makes no sense. There's no way Jose Quintana is going to be ready for the start of the year. So I click on the article and say, well, where'd this come from? Like, I don't believe this. So I see a Met reporter, and I don't want to, I don't want to rip him because uh, it's an innocent mistake. And yeah, there's a quote from Buck Showalter 
that says he could be ready for the start of the year. And I'm thinking, what? He could be ready. So I see this. I'm now efforting to get the audio because I need to hear this from Buck Showalter. You're telling me Buck Showalter said to the Met media, Jose Quintana may be ready for the start of the year. And before I got to the audio, no, I got to the audio. I'm trying to remember this correctly because it was early in the week. I find the audio of Buck and it's not what he said. It's what he said, but not really. Basically, he was answering a question about, hey, there's a report that Quintana is going to be shut down for three months. And Buck said, look, I'm not, I haven't heard that. If you heard that elsewhere, I can't comment on it. Our hope is still, hey, maybe he's going to be ready. So it was one of those, I can't break this news. And we didn't know why. I think we now know why. Because there was a lot of concerns about this legion on his rib. And it makes complete sense. And they didn't want to say anything. They didn't want to say, hey, by the way, this guy may be having a cancer scare right now. Like, they didn't want to talk about it. And they're right. They, sh they, they shouldn't have talked about it. And they didn't. I got no issue with that. And I think sometimes when there's a delay, we as fans have to take a step back and say, maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's like a good reason and we should just shut our mouths for a second. And so I thought Buck was just trying to give a, hey, you never know. Maybe he's ready. <laughs> maybe he's good to go. And and unfortunately, that wasn't the case. The good news is Quintana's going to be okay. That's the most important thing. The bad news is from a baseball standpoint, he's going to be shut down for multiple months. And it's probably, Pete, worse than we thought. Because I think initially it was, hey, maybe we'll see him by June. Maybe we'll see him by July. If he's being shut down for three months and then starts a pitching program, a throwing program, August? Like, I think we're looking at a post-trade deadline kind of debut for Jose Quintana. Yeah, no, that's disappointing because, like you said, like he was somebody that not say we were relying upon, but his the end of last year specifically, you thought he'd be some sort of an asset, especially the one lefty in the starting rotation. Um, but again, this is where credit the Epler and everybody in the Mets organization. It's like they almost were preparing for this. They they had the depth. They didn't get crazy. They didn't trade anybody from starting starting pitching away. Um, and we had guys like a Peterson and a McGill available to step up. And that that's kind of important. That You need eight, nine starting pitchers. You do. And, you know, right now, I think most of us lean towards David Peterson getting the fifth spot. We talked about it on the last Rico. But newsflash, they're going to need Tyler McGill, too. They're going to need Joey Lucchese. They're going to need Elisar Hernandez. Like, they're going to go deep into their rotation even if it's not just by the choice of giving Verlander and Scherzer extra days, it's just going to be necessary because that's just the way it is. So I feel bad for Jose Quintana. It sucks because his track record had been as a guy that you can rely on every five or six days to make 30 starts a year for the majority of his major league career. And it's just a bad break. It's a terrible break. The, the thing Buck did, though, that really annoys me, and I appreciate everybody that DM'd me and emailed the RicoB at gmail.com because anybody who knows me knows there are certain things I hate. There are certain things that when I hear, it makes me cringe. And Buck Showalter did something, Pete. He did something that makes me cringe. He was the one who said, and I quote, but we're going to get a great trade acquisition come August. Or July, whatever the date was. And I hear that. And I, well, first I see it. Then I hear it. And it's like, Buck, Bucky, Buck, Buck. What are we doing here, Buck? Really? 
We're going with the, it's going to be a great acquisition card. Don't we save that for July and August? Isn't that something we hold off on? Yeah, we hold off on that one. We don't need to whip it out right now. Like, we get it. Jose Quintana may be a nice addition in August, but it's not a trade acquisition. No, it's an injured player coming back. That's all it is. Don't play these semantic games with me. Uh, as far as the pitching is concerned, Tyler McGill looked dominant in his last start, which was nice to see. David Peterson returned to the mound after his injury scare off the comebacker. And McGill was saying something really interesting. Where McGill said he got great advice from Max Scherzer that he's saving velocity, that he's not going to come out pumping gas right out the gate. And it's smart. Like, yeah, it'd be nice if you could throw 98, 99 all the time. But Verlander is great with this too, by the way. I mean, I noticed this from Verlander for a decade that he'll throw 94, 95, 96, the whole thing. But that last pitch of the game that he throws, last second to last pitch of the game that he throws, he saved something in the tank. And that's how you're able to get through six or seven innings. So I, I hope it doesn't affect Tyler McGill's effectiveness. Because if you recall last year, he was great in April. And he was fantastic. He pitched really, really well. The final numbers of Tyler McGill are not fair to the way he pitched in April. But that's smart. Hopefully it'll let him go deeper in the games that he's saving the velocity uh, for later. So he's not going to have to throw 97, 98. The other thing that may do, Pete, is keep him healthy. Because if you're exerting that much energy 85 90 times a game because that's your pitch count you just naturally you think there's a greater risk of injury so good advice from max scherzer yeah, that's the veteran leader that he truly is so obviously they've got the starting pitching depth right now and it could get worse if there's more injuries knock on wood there isn't but pete hoffman has an idea pete hoffman said hey evan maybe there's somebody they can add to their cachet of starting pitching depth would you like to present to the rico audience your brilliant idea of who you want to add to the cavalcade of arms that the new york mets have well i'm not going to take full credit for it because i did see it somewhere like on sny but the thought was definitely <laughs> sny well not sny tv but like they wrote somebody somebody wrote an article about it but right. i will say that i will say this watching this man pitch in the world baseball classic there was no doubt in my mind that other people were thinking the same thing anyway because he looked decent. And there's always that pulling your heartstring back of Mets history, Mets folklore, Matt Harvey. Now, I understand how it ended here. It was not great. Um, was I happy to see him leave originally? Yeah, I, I was kind of fed up with him. But going through the surgeries, going through the rough times, I did kind of always have in the back like a little bit of like, uh, I hope he can pull it through. And to see him now in the World Baseball Classic for Italy, pitching decent. I'm not saying he needs to be on the starting rotation and he needs to make this, you know, make the, the 25-man roster, 26-man roster. But if there's a possibility to bring him in as minor league pitcher, minor league deal, Matt Harvey can definitely be a part of this team. If you have a guy like Tommy Hunter come back every every so often, there's no reason why you can't look at Matt Harvey and see if maybe he's got something. To maybe figure something out. Yeah, there, there's two layers to this. Number one, I, I'm, I have no ill will towards Matt Harvey. I think enough time has gone by where I appreciate what he did for this team. You know, he left it all on the mound in game five of the 2015 World Series. It wasn't his fault. Now, quite frankly, 
That's on Terry Collins. That's not on Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey wanted to keep pitching. God bless him. He wanted to keep going out there. And, you know, his failures after that in 2016 and all the injuries that he had, the thoracic outlet syndrome, just not being the same guy, maybe it is related to the fact that coming off of Tommy John surgery, he left it all out there in 2015. And that's what we wanted because the Mets had a legitimate chance to win a World Series. So for all the criticisms I or anyone else may have had about Matt, that was a long time ago. It really was. And if Matt Harvey returned to an old-timers day, he'd get a standing ovation, just like he got cheered when he came back as an Oriole a couple of years ago, which I was not surprised about that the Met fans reacted in a positive way to him. So I'm with you from a historical standpoint. I got no issue with Matt Harvey. It just comes down to, is he good? I watched highlights of his performance for Team Italy, and the thing that jumped out at me that's concerning is he just doesn't throw very hard. And in this day and age, I I wonder if you can consistently get major league hitters out throwing 88, 89, 90 miles an hour. And what's funny is with Harvey at the end, his velocity wasn't necessarily a problem when I saw him pitch. It was that pinpoint control that he had. His command was so good in 2013 and 2015. That was the difference to me. I was just watching him. It wasn't like, oh, he's not throwing hard enough. It was command, command, command. So I haven't watched him enough as he gotten his command back in 2023 as a guy who's you know about to turn 34 years old. Probably not. But would I give him a, a ticket to AAA? Yeah, why not? I mean, he got nothing to lose. I think that he's down on the depth chart. I don't think he's passing Tyler Miguel or David Peterson, clearly. I don't think he's even passing Joey Lucchese or Elisar Hernandez. Could he uh, pass Jose Budo? Maybe. <laughs> it's possible. You know, you mentioned Tommy Hunter, so you're thinking more as a reliever. Okay. I- I'm not against it. I just think that we would need to temper our enthusiasm and not expect him to be the dark knight or some kind of conquering hero. He he is what he is, which is you're signing a 34-year-old to a minor league deal, and I don't think it's really reasonable to have too high expectations. Is that fair? Oh, extremely fair. And I don't think there's any expectation, especially with the surgery he had. I mean, you look at um, Steven Strasburg. Uh, he's having issues with it as well. Like, it, it's a common thing that when you have the TOS thoracic outlet surgery, it is just very difficult to come back from. I don't think he'll ever have accuracy again just because of that – the whatever they were basically remove a rib and i just i think you're just kind of feel on balance the whole time it's just it's not able to to be as effective as you once were it sucks man it really does yeah his legacy is it's strange he really was a comet in the sky because he was so good but it was such a short period of time you know from tommy john surgery ending that magical 13 season 15 was great it unfortunately ended with the manager making a bad decision and he was never the same. You know, you're really talking about two and a half years of very good to greatness from Matt Harvey. And that was it. So you want to add him for pitching depth. That's fine. The bullpen is starting to come into focus. Zach green. It did not work out. The Mets placed them on waivers. They returned him back to the New York Yankees, the rule five pick Bryce Montes to Oka got a good update. We talked about his injury a few days ago but he's not going to make the team. It looks like John Curtis has a great chance to make the team with the way he's pitched. Obviously, it's it's tough to know how many bullpen spots are up for grabs because of the possibility that um, 
Oh, my God. Uh, Brooks Raleigh is going to start the year on the injured list. You know, we'll have to see. But John Curtis has certainly kind of made that impact of a guy that I think has a really, really good chance to make the team. I'm surprised about Zach Green. I think that was one of my initial predictions, that because he's a Rule 5 guy and he's got a good arm, that he would find a way on this roster. Steven Nagosik, sort of in a similar spot because he's out of options. But uh, it just it didn't work for Zach Green. He wasn't very good. And it's interesting sometimes when guys are battling for roster spots or starting jobs, uh, you're seeing it more with the Yankees, certainly, than the Mets. How much are they putting on just performance? You know, the Yankees clearly have a guy who's winning their shortstop job. It's clear. It's Anthony Volpe. If it's a real competition, but a lot of times it's not a real competition. It just isn't. It's We prefer this guy to win, you know? Same thing with the Mets to a lesser degree in the Darren Ruff stuff with Darren Ruff versus Brett Beatty or Darren Ruff versus Mark Vientos, however you want to frame it. I do have to admit, so Darren Ruff had gone over, 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 over. He had been terrible. On Monday, he had a good game. Can't deny it. He was two for three, drove in a run. Like, great. Okay, Darren Ruff played well. And I looked at the box score, and I will never root against my own guys because why would you do that i'm a met fan i want to see the mets win i don't care how right i am or wrong i am that, that's stupid that doesn't matter i'd rather be happy but in spring training wins don't matter and in spring training eh, it's different so when i saw darren ruff had a good day i have to i have to be honest i was pissed i wasn't happy i am and, and does this make me a bad guy i don't know I am rooting for Darren Ruff to fail and I kind of feel dirty, but I'm being honest because I don't want him on the team. And I think the best way or the quickest route for him not to make the team is for him to not play well, because then it becomes obvious that he can't be on the team that Brett Beatty or Mark Vientos makes. And Vientos has cooled off by the way, Beatty has not. So I guess that's good uh, for the Beatty column which I think a lot of people are rooting for, but we're all on a specific side, which is Darren Ruff not being on the team. And I don't know if this makes me a bad guy, Pete, but I want to look down at box scores and see Darren Ruff go for three. That's what I'm rooting for. Listen, it's, you don't, you're not a bad guy for that. It just, it's not Darren Ruff's fault that he got put in this spot. It's his, it's his fault that he didn't perform last season. And that would have changed everything. He was really bad for us. Uh, it's 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 not his fault that Billy Epler and management think that he's gonna he's taking a spot away from a young kid that we want to see. So it's it don't don't feel bad about that because it's better you're hating on it now than in regular season because I think that's what's going to start to happen once Darren Ruff makes the team. People are really going to get that the boo birds are going to come out. It's going <laughs> to get really bad. I mean, we think that Aaron Hicks has it bad in the Bronx. Get ready for Queens. I mean, Darren, you people thought Max Scherzer, were people getting afraid of Max Scherzer starting a home game because a last time he got booed off the field? Darren Ruff will get booed out of New York, okay? Yeah, yeah. There, there are guys, and I've seen it throughout Med history, the Yankees have a few of those guys now, that fans are waiting to boo. We're, we're, we're just waiting. Yeah, we're not hateful people, but they're very quickly going to get booed. And I think the only guy the Mets have that fits that right now is Darren Ruff. And there's been plenty of guys throughout the history of this franchise that have fit that, where the fans are just looking to boo you. Bobby Bonilla was the king of it. Roger Cedeno, his second time around, the king of it. Like, there were a lot. And obviously with the Yankees, you know who it is. It's It was Joey Gallo. It's Josh Donaldson. It's Aaron Hicks, all that. 
Darren Ruff, Met fans are looking to boo. We're not looking to boo Max Scherzer. You know, we'll, we'll boo you if you suck, but we're not actively trying to do it. Max made it obvious. He got he was so bad in that wild card game, that wild card series, that well, what, what the hell are we going to do? Of course we were going to boo him, but I just, I feel bad that I'm literally sitting here rooting for someone to suck, but I'm doing it for the greater good. That's the way I look at it. That's what I try to rationalize. Like the greater good is that Darren ends up in a better place, you know, gets to go wherever the hell he wants because he's DFA. And the Mets are in a better place because they actually have really good young talent. And sometimes you almost have to force the Mets to allow that good young talent to play. You know, I, what's going on in Atlanta right now is fascinating. And, and I bring this up because we obviously talked a lot about Michael Harris being called up and Von Grissom being called up. Well, the Atlanta Braves are having a competition for the fifth spot in their rotation. Mike Soroka got hurt. What a surprise. And so they had a competition that a lot of us assumed would feature Ian Anderson, who has major league experience, Bryce Elder. Both those guys weren't pitching well. They've already been optioned. The Braves have already said it ain't going to be them. And so they've got two guys competing for the fifth spot who are both prospects. One is their number one pitching prospect. The other one's like a marginal prospect. The Braves are almost like, please, young players, take the mantle. Be on the major league roster. They almost want to go out of their way for younger guys to get a shot. And for the Mets, it's a little bit different. I mean, David Peterson deserved a spot in the rotation. He's only getting one because somebody got hurt. Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty. I'm not going to say Ronnie Mauricio. Francisco Alvarez, I will, has not a great spring training. It's almost like the Mets have roadblocks in front of them. Doesn't mean they won't get the chance eventually. They will. But it's so difficult for these guys to get that opportunity. Yet while the Braves are just like, yeah, Michael Harris. Take center field. It's crazy. And and the amazing thing is, so we just talked about, you talk, name all these guys from Atlanta, and, and a lot of them signed long-term deals all of a sudden, right? So they're all locked up. But then you go around the majors too, just some recent signings. That just, you just saw the Washington Nationals locked up their their catcher, Ruiz, for what, like an eight-year contract yep. for, yep. for, for $50 Corbin million? Corbin Carroll with the Diamondbacks, Pete? Yeah, uh, and, and again, guys play, what, 50 games, not even, and they lock them up for like eight or eight years for $110 million. And yet you have these young guys who were like top prospects in the in, out of the, in the 100 prospects. They're like, what, what's Francisco Alvarez? He moved down to three now or four, whatever. They're, they're all high-level prospects, and they're di- we're dying for them to make the team, and there's room for them, but we can't find a place for them because – we have these vets, and and I'm not taking anything away from the vets, but on the other hand, eventually we need to flip the script. And I think last year, the season would have ended differently if we brought those guys up sooner. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. We'll keep an eye on Darren Ruff. He's out there playing every other day. My dad complained to me the other day. My dad says, "You know, the Mets aren't hitting, Evan." And I said, "Dad, have you seen the lineup? <laughs> they're not. They're not hitting the first baseman, the second baseman, the shortstop, and the third baseman." are all in the World Baseball Classic. Let's just start right off the top. The entire infield has been sent to the WBC. And by the way, and I'm, I, do, do, do you want spoilers for the World Baseball Classic? Because it's on right now. We're, we're well, yeah, because people are going to listen to this on Thursday morning. They'll know the results, of course. Okay. So uh, one guy is hitting like a maniac. His name is Francisco Lador and hit a inside-the-park home run just now. That's good for him. So That's great. He, 
That's we have elite hitters. They're just not <laughs> spring training. <laughs> They're just not with the Mets. <laughs> Brandon Nimmo still hasn't had a hit yet in spring training, which is fine. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Honestly, it's. I love the early days of spring training, that first few days. By the time we get to this, which is the final two weeks, it's the worst part of spring training. You know, it's cool to see the kids. It's cool to see Ronnie Mauricio get a lot of at-bats, Brett Beatty, guys like that. But do not look at these results. And I said to my dad, I said, are you serious? <laughs> are, you really good? are you really questioning that they're not hitting? Is this a problem right now? <laughs> They'll get these guys back soon, though. The World Baseball Classic ends next Tuesday. Speaking of the World Baseball Classic, Max Scherzer was asked about not pitching because if you've seen the WBC, if countries were taking all of their best players, like literally all their best players, not just a lineup of their best players, the big advantage that Team USA would have would be our pitching. Like our pitching would be devastatingly good. You know, Garrett Cole would be there. Max Scherzer would be there. Justin Verlander would be there. Jacob deGrom, if healthy, would be there. That's a ridiculous rotation. But guys don't pitch. Clayton Kershaw couldn't get insurance to pitch. And Max Scherzer offered an explanation, which how could anyone disagree with, where he said, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't put my arm in a playoff atmosphere in the middle of March. I can't do it. It's dangerous. I'm risking injury. And I think the biggest problem that the WBC has is pitching. It's not the lineups. The lineups are insane. I mean, even with some guys choosing not to play, like Aaron Judge is not playing for Team USA. That's okay. I mean, their lineup is is filthy. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Trey Turner, JT Riamudo. It's a judge. It's fine. Arson Judge, it's fine, but it's the pitching. So Max Scherzer had this quote the other day, and we'll pick it apart and explain to Max why, while it comes from a good place, he could not be more wrong, okay? If the WBC was during the season, I think you would get more pitcher participation, and more importantly, I think it'd be more exciting for the fans because you'd actually have starters built up. You wouldn't have guys on pitch counts or whatever it is. You'd actually have real guys going at it. It'd be a real game. So he's not wrong with some of the things he says. Of course, guys' pitch counts would be higher and guys would be able to pitch. You cannot tell baseball fans in the middle of a season, right as the pennant races are going to start, I'm going to go pitch seven innings and throw 110 pitches in the WBC. You cannot do it. It would be a dis- You would get fans to really hate the WBC. Like, I think now it's tolerable because it's March. I mean, there's, there's okay. Like, I'm even a defender of it. I don't think there's great injury risk. I've said that before, that they're just going out, getting their work in, and they're doing it in these games. In the midst of a grind where everybody's hurt by the time you get to July. Guys are playing injured. Guys are hurt. Pitchers, eh, they're battling through nicks and bruises and whatnot. You're going to have the season shut down and have Max Scherzer throw 110 pitches as if it's the playoffs? It is, I get it in theory. It's a horrible idea that would cause major resentment against this tournament. Yeah, like, so I'm a huge hockey fan, and when the Olympics come around, they a lot of times they'll pull NHL players to play in the Olympics. 
and those three weeks or four weeks or whatever it is when they shut down NHL for this, it's brutal. I, I can't I, – it's like I'm not sitting there watching – like no offense to World Baseball Classics. I'll probably watch some of the games. But it's not like watching the Mets play every day. You can't do that. And I understand his, his – you – it's just impossible to do. There's no, there's no good time to do it. It's March. That's it. It's end of story. You don't want to have them go, go at the, at the end of the season somewhere else. They'll never do it. But there's really no t- good time for it, considering the, the 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 wear and tear of the baseball season. Yeah, but by the way, and I I get the negatives to it too. I'd be more open to the season after the season is over than the middle of the season. You know, if guys say, hey, you know, I. I shut down a few weeks earlier, but I'll keep throwing. I'll go to like a an extended spring training, and you want to have this thing in November? Okay. I I think your issue is the interest level will go away. Like a lot of people will say, I just watched seven months of baseball. It's football season. It's Thanksgiving. I'm good. So I think your risk is with us, with our eyeballs, whereas opposed to now, with Thursday for baseball. You now we're excited for the start of the season. So hey, I'm going to watch Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. I'm going to watch, you know, Italy versus Japan at 6 a.m. November makes sense if guys were up for it, but I think the interest level would go away. I'm surprised, Max. I get what he's saying, but Max, you're getting paid $42 million by the New York Mets. In the middle of the year, you're going to want to go out there and make two, three starts? And really, it's not two, three starts if you look at the format of this. You play four games in the first round, then it's the quarterfinals, the semis, the finals. You may be making two starts. So just to be fair, by the way, that's the other thing that's weird about the WBC. It's not really a fair indicator. I mean, you're going to play, you play a round robin against, in the U.S.'s case, Mexico, Canada, Colombia, Great Britain. And based on how you do in those four games, that's if you advance or not. Then it's single elimination. Well, you could lose to a bad team. So it's, I'm waiting for the WBC, and maybe this is the year, where a, a far inferior team goes on some kind of run. You know what I mean? Like, Italy beats Japan. No offense to Italy. And they go out and just win a couple of games. And Italy wins the WBC. Anyone really going to think that Italy is the premier baseball country? Japan, sure. The U.S., of course. DR, Puerto Rico, okay. Italy? Now imagine if Italy just goes on a run. I wish it was Great Britain and their tea was falling off the championship game. I mean, <laughs> what what kind of nonsense is that, dude? They they must have forgot their jerseys at, at, at like in like England or something like that, right? Like, there's no way that you have that bad of a jersey where you have letters falling off mid game. So I can't defend the letters falling off, but here's what I will defend: the basic nature of their jersey was sort of cool. I didn't think it was that bad. It was so basic that I said. Ah, kind of like it (laughs) it's not the worst thing in the world so you're wondering how am i gonna work aaron Rodgers into rico bronia well earlier on when craig and i were doing our show after the big announcement that aaron Rodgers intends to play football for the new york jets craig carton asked a question now he didn't have an opinion on it because craig doesn't know it's not like he was hired to do sports i mean what are we talking about here he said is Aaron Rodgers, the greatest athlete today in New York sports in terms of what they've accomplished. Now, obviously, Aaron Judge is coming off a historical season. He's still relatively early in his career. Is there anybody better? And my first reaction was, well, what about Justin Verlander? Now, Justin Verlander is a first ballot, or Max Scherzer for that matter, but Justin Verlander is a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
And so we didn't spend much time on it. Just very quickly, I threw Verlander versus Aaron Rodgers out. And then I put it up on Twitter as a poll. Yeah, just for S's and giggles. Now, what would people say? Because obviously you're talking about an NFL player and you're talking about a baseball player. How, how could you possibly compare a starting pitcher to a quarterback? How do you compare two guys that play different sports? You can't. But we weren't going to waste our time talking about it on the fan. But would I give five to ten minutes on it on the Rico Bronia? Heff yeah. You're damn right. So I ask you, Pete, and I'm going to go to Twitter, and I'll give you the poll results and a few of the mentions in, in regards to that. Your initial reaction. You are a Jets fan. You are a Mets fan. Justin Verlander and Aaron Rodgers have done nothing for our teams yet. They haven't. They're great players. They're Hall of Famers. They're basically the same age. They've accomplished a lot. It'll be interesting to see what they do for us. They they could win a championship for us. They could become icons for us. They may suck. We have no idea because neither has done anything for our teams yet. But off the top, who's had the better career? I, I would say Justin Verlander. I would. I mean, again, I understand the MVPs. I know Verlander's only won what? Has he won two side youngers or three? Uh, I think he well, he definitely won an MVP too, which is kind of cool for a pitcher. But let me uh, right. double check. So Justin Verlander has won three Cy Youngs. And he's Aaron, got two- Aaron Rodgers has won four MVPs. Verlander also has uh, a rookie of the year, if you care about that. But he's also had two World Series. He's won two championships. Aaron Rodgers has won one championship. And he's won that 12 years ago. So I say the edge is with Verlander. Interesting. So my reasoning for why my response is Rodgers, and there's a flaw with what I'm going to say, but it's my honest kind of reaction that popped into my head. I don't believe I can name 10 quarterbacks in the history of the NFL better than Aaron Rodgers. Maybe it'd come close. Maybe I get to eight or nine. Maybe I, get, I say Tom Brady. I say Joe Montana. I say Johnny Unitas. I don't know if I say Dan Marino. You know, if we're going to make a big deal about championships, can I, am I really saying Dan Marino? Am I saying Peyton Manning? Okay, maybe. I don't know how much deeper that list goes. Am I going to say Bart Starr, who I never saw play? Am I going to say John Elway? Like, I think that Aaron Rodgers is a top 10 quarterback in the history of the NFL. And I don't think that's a insane statement. Justin Verlander is not a top 10 pitcher in the history of baseball. Now, an obvious flaw with this is that there are more pitchers. There are five starters on a staff. There's one true starting quarterback. And also Major League Baseball has gone back a million years. But if I was going to tell you the best pitchers I've ever seen, so we're just looking at the last 25 to 30 years, Greg Maddox was better than Justin Verlander. Pedro Martinez was better than Justin Verlander. Roger Clemens was better than Justin Verlander. Pedro Martin, did I say Pedro Martin? Randy Johnson was better than Justin Verlander. Like, I'll off the top name five guys. I don't think I'm doing that with quarterbacks. Now, again, there's a different amount to each guy. I would just say Aaron Rodgers all time would rank significantly higher than where Verlander would rank all time. And I, and I say that acknowledging the flaw in the amount of people that are on these lists. Yeah, I think that's the that's the main uh, issue is that there are so many. There's it's it's impossible. It's it's incomparable to sit there and, and compare the two because of that. But you're listen, Rodgers is amazing. I think I could probably dig deeper and find a few more and push Rodgers down a little bit further, which again would then 
make my argument that for, for Verlander that much stronger. And again, you know, to get to, to piggyback and make it for Rogers case, it's more of a quarterback is more of a single position. Whereas baseball, there's so many other assets to the game that, I mean, you you can look at football too, as a defensive game, but offensively speaking, it's basically run through one player, Aaron Rodgers. Well, and here's the thing is I'm, I'm going to go through some of these mentions and, and you're going to notice the ring argument is going to be made. Was Justin Verlander that good in the world series last year? Has he been good in the world series in his career? Not really. He, he hasn't. If your quarterback sucks in the Super Bowl, you're very, very likely to lose. If one of your three or four starting pitchers is bad in the World Series, you're not very, very likely to lose. You can still win. But yet that's going to be an argument you hear from a lot of people. Like, for example, Cool K says it's easily Verlander. Rodgers has been a loser for a decade. Now, what's crazy about that is he hasn't been a loser for a decade. He's won a lot of games. He's just lost championship games at home, which I get. But has Justin Verlander been the most dominant postseason pitcher of all time? No more Wilpons, which is a great Twitter handle. How many championships has Verlander won versus Rodgers? Well, it was tied 1-1 until about 20 minutes ago. I mean, Verlander just took that lead, by the way. Uh, Alonzo, and I'm not surprised about this one, Justin Verlander's teams cheated to get him rings doesn't count. <laughs> uh, Eli Deitchman, Eli from Queens. It's simple. Rodgers gets spoken about in the top 10 quarterbacks of all time list and Verlander, while Hall of Fame bound, is nowhere near the top of the all time greatest pitchers list, which is the argument I'm kind of going with, too. I agree. Uh, Dave. I really appreciate Dave's honesty. You know, sometimes you just got to call it like it is. Dave says, I voted for Verlander just because of how incredibly douchey Aaron Rodgers is. It's probably pretty close, though. (laughs) Uh, Sean also has a personal vendetta. Rodgers hasn't won anything in the past 10 years and still won't. Imagine telling another grown man to lose my number. (laughs) (laughs) but what i noticed is that there's a lot of i don't like this guy and so i'm going to vote against him kenneth hovey says this is an incredible poll and a tough one to conclude on poor postseasons for rogers and terrible world series starts for verlander i mean he is right that you know both guys are all-time greats who have not they've had some bad moments in the biggest of spots to say the least Jack says, I'd say fairly similar. Both two of the best to ever suit up at their position. Damien says this isn't even a debate, but then offers no opinion. I'm kind of curious. Like, well, then who is it? <laughs> is that me? He's debating the debate. <laughs> James says, what's the point of this poll? <laughs> I don't know. What the hell's the point of any poll? There, this, everyone's missing the boat on this, by the way. There's one key to this that no one's talking about. Go the ahead. Clear win- the clear winner is Justin Verlander. If you compare Justin Verlander to Aaron Rodgers as far as partner, Kate Upton outweighs anyone that 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 Aaron Rodgers has ever. I mean, I know right now he isn't uh he is Roger dating like some like NBA owner or something like that. Uh yeah, he was dating or is dating apparently Mallory Edens, who's the daughter of the owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, Kate Upton beats that. I'm sorry. All right. 
the the results, <laughs> by the way, because I've given you different opinions, uh, with about fifty five hundred people voting, so a, a, a decent sample size was overwhelming for Justin Verlander. Sixty seven percent said Justin Verlander, thirty three percent said Aaron Rodgers, and this poll one year from now will be so fascinating because it will be dictated by what these guys do for us. And Justin Verlander is here for a couple of years. And as we sit here right now, I have no idea how this is going to go for him. This could go really, really well. Mets win a world series. Verlander is a big part of it or any part of it. And his approval rating among Met fans, he becomes a God. Obviously Aaron Rodgers is in the same boat. You know, if Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback that leads the jets to a super bowl, no matter what they did in their past cities, our view of them will be altered in just such a major way. So it's kind of funny to look at it now because neither guy's done anything. You know, we're just kind of speculating late in their careers, late in their Hall of Fame careers, what are they going to do for us? And as I sit here right now, I have no earthly idea. I, I, who the hell knows? Do you like this approach, by the way? I mean, I feel like the, the Jets are biting off the Mets of like, just get the get the old vet in here and we'll do a couple of years and we'll move, move we'll, we'll figure it out in two years. And we'll go down a different route whenever we need to go. Look, there's no perfect formula to winning a championship. I think in the NFL, we saw Tom Brady do it with Tampa Bay where they brought him in a ready-made roster, a 40-plus-year-old Hall of Fame player, and it worked. I mean, they made the playoffs three straight years. They won a Super Bowl championship. You know, and in baseball, like, the baseball thing is very, very different. Once the Mets lost to Grom, and, and not to rehash the decision to keep Jake or not keep Jake or pay Jake or all that, I think they looked at it and said, how do we get the best guy who can help us over a short period of time and then have the flexibility two years from now to go sign somebody else? It's, it's kind of weird to look at the Met rotation. The Met rotation is hired guns right now. And most of these guys... Kodai Senga being the exception right now, they're not going to be here very long. You know, Justin Verlander at most is here for two years. Max Scherzer, I guess he could opt in or sign a new contract to three years. Carlos Carrasco, it's probably going to be his last year here. I don't know if the Mets are going to re-sign him at the end of the year. Jose Quintana, we barely seen you. We barely know you. And Senga obviously has a chance to be here for a long period of time. So the Mets have sort of treated their rotation as if, you're here for now, and then we'll replace you real soon, you know? So it, it, it is strange as a fan to have guys, and I, and I saw it obviously with the Nets for a while. I'm seeing it with the Mets, and we're going to see it with the Jets, where here are these all-time great players, guys that you watched for many years on another team, never even had a, a negative or positive feeling towards them. This isn't bringing in a rival by any stretch. And then they're on your team. And it's it's a surreal feeling. I mean, when it, even at the bitter end with Durant, it was like Kevin Durant's on my team. You know, Aaron Rodgers is certainly going to feel that way. Scherzer last year it felt that way, and I think even more so with Justin Verlander, who's been around for so long. That that first start that Verlander makes in a regular season game, dude, it is going to be so weird seeing that wind up and that number and that cleft cheek or whatever the hell it's called, the, the thing that on his chin. Seeing that with the blue Met hat, dude, that is going to be one of the weirdest things. And so far in my Met life, in terms of weirdest image 
and maybe Verlander's going to take it away. The weirdest image of a guy on my team with the Mets, that is, I'm keeping it to the Mets, is Clavin. Clavin freaked me out even more than Pedro because the, the thing about Pedro was back in his day with Montreal, I always had this vision the Mets could trade for him. I always had this hope of the Mets could trade for Pedro. The Mets could get Pedro. And obviously they didn't. He was traded to Boston and then eventually got here. But I always had the back of my mind thought Pedro Martinez could be a Met. Tom Glavin as a Met was the most foreign thing in the entire world. This bastard's pitching for the Atlanta Braves. He's sticking it up our ass. He's winning, you know, a Cy Young. They're going to the World Series. For that guy to put on a Met jersey all these years later is still one of the weirdest images I ever remembered. Yeah, I, I that I, I was gonna say Pedro. Pedro was one where because you just you just thought of him again. Like, even though Montreal, that's true, but the the heat of the moments with those Red Sox Yankee series, that's what I envisioned, and I'm still a uh, that's still a rival of mine because like even though we beat them in '86, it still had that like it's a New York Boston type of thing. So when he crossed over, it, it felt weird to me, but I kind of see the Glavin thing too. There, there's weirdness levels to to Pedro. It's just I, I and maybe it's just me personally. I remember when the Expos were looking to trade him. I, I just thought of the Mets, and even a year before, there were slight rumors about the Expos trying to trade him. It was before he broke through. I always thought, hey, it could be the Mets. You know, you always knew the Expos were this minor league team for everybody else. Uh, the other one was Piazza because the Mike Piazza trade was such a surprise. No one saw it coming. He's this big, hulking star. And at that point in our Met fandom, the Mets hadn't had many stars. Yeah, Bobby Bonilla, Eddie Murray, guys like that. But a star, star. And to acquire Mike Piazza and then see him in the Met jersey was a weird image. But now it's not weird because he became a Met. You know, and he's in the Hall of Fame and he's a Met. So eventually it became very, very normal. But with Tom Glavin, who's not a Met, and no offense to Verlander and Scherzer, and I, and I hope they win championships here and we love them forever, but they're never going to be Mets. They may be Mets to us if they lead us to a championship, but Max Scherzer's a Tiger National. You know, Verlander's a Tiger Astro. It's just the way it is. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, always going to be a Packer. But if you win here, oh, baby, we build that statue. I, I am very, very excited for opening day. I have now reached that that fevered pitch of we are two weeks away from a companion because that's what baseball is. Baseball is a companion. They're with you every single night, every night they're there. And so we're getting closer. So Med fans, get ready, baby. We are two short weeks away from another season. Another year of disappointment in all likelihood, but yeah, another season. I'm just being honest. We'll make our predictions. For not only the entire baseball season, but what we think the Mets will do specifically. And we'll do that as we creep closer to opening day. I started working on that the other day, Pete. I opened up a document and I said, write it all down, Evan. And I always had that tough call. Am I picking the Mets to win the NL East? Am I picking them to win the National League pennant? I have very rarely done that in my life. And I used to write down my predictions Every year, I have a document from every single year, just predictions. And I used to do it long before I was on the air. Uh, 1999, I think I started doing it. So now I was 15, 16 years old. And I'm always afraid to pick the Mets. 
The one year I did pick the Mets was 1999, the first year I did it. And I was a year off because they got to the World Series the following year. I actually picked in 1999 a Mets-Yankees World Series. And again, one year off and only two games off because the Braves obviously uh, beat the Mets in the NLCS that year and the Yankees didn't win the American League pennant. My World Series prediction last year was very bad, if we're being honest with each other. I think I picked the Toronto Blue Jays against, I think, the Padres, which actually isn't that bad because they did get to the NLCS. So, you know what, actually? And I did this with John Dostremski years ago, so he could tell you, boy, Evan nailed that one. 2019, I picked Nationals-Astros. It was my proudest moment. Yeah, we we did our predictions. (laughs) He picked, like, freaking Yankees-Cardinals. And very typical Yankee homer. And I picked Nationals Astros. And I remember when the World Series happened, I think I picked the Astros to win, though, if that's any uh, negative. I mean, I mean, you still pretty much nailed the World Series. It was crazy. By the way, uh, before we do our project uh, predictions, can you go through your years and uh, like at least give us the World Series predictions per year? Can you oh, go through that and give it to us? I'll get you that's some old what, ones. Rico, that's where Rico, that's why Rico Brony is so good. So we can go through all of your old predictions. There you go. They're mostly bad. Sometimes there's some good ones in there, like the Astros Nationals one from 19. I mean, that's my that's my crown jewel. That, that's my my greatest <laughs> accomplishment. The rest of them are pretty bad. We'll do some predictions, and of course, want to hear from you if you have any uh, gutsy predictions. You can always email us to ricob at gmail.com. and also any Yankees versus Mets bets. Uh, My old producer from the Midday Show, Ernie Acosta, will come back and do that with me because we used to do that for years and years and years. And I know a lot of Met fans and Yankee fans got a kick out of that because they could take those bets and make them with their friends. So if you have any good Yankee Met bet ideas, of course, you can email us, thericob at gmail.com. I do promise on the next Rico, we'll have a a longer discussion about – Radical realignment. I have a strong opinion on it. Pete has a strong opinion on it. And I do think it's something that's very, very possible. And it's, I'd rather discuss it now than ever talking about that during the season. During the season, we're obviously going to focus on the team and what the hell's going on. So we'll do that coming up this weekend. And obviously anything else that breaks with the Mets as they continue spring training as we head towards opening day. We appreciate you listening and downloading. Leave us a review or email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com. Check out Pete with Tiki and Tierney. Me with Craig at two o'clock on the fan. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.